Welcome to Like a Fish Needs a Starfish. (laughs) (laughs) It's a drunkisode! Starship, your friendly neighborhood feminist podcast. This is Stephanie and this Kat. is Kat. <laughs> We're together. We are we are together once again. And to think it's been an entire year. It has been. Yeah. It has been an entire Remember year. Remember when we thought we would just have a few weeks of like working from home? Yeah, it's just gonna be like, ah, two weeks and it's gonna be great. Two weeks to slow the spread. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So we are celebrating with a little bourbon, a lot of bourbon, <laughs> but, uh, but we deserve it. So, um, Steph, you have some news. You, you oh, are, yeah. you are no longer part of the deep state. Yeah. So, um, although I never talked about it on the podcast, um, and I probably still won't now, um, I worked for the government before and now I no longer do. I've moved on to corporate America pharmaceutical corporate America. (laughs) But as far as pharmaceutical companies go, mine is relatively altruistic. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. So, um, and I... It's a good quality to look for in a corporate behemoth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm no longer practicing law, so I I completely changed careers. That's Um, awesome. And it's scary. Uh, the first familiar thing that I've done in the past two weeks, it's been two weeks since I took the job, um, was read contracts mm-hmm. and it was so comforting. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Ooh, legal words. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise I have no idea anything that's transactional a- work. No longer seeing the worst of humanity. Every time you turn a page of a transcript, <laughs> right. something I still do. It's, uh, it's so, I mean, it's, it's, so it's biopharmaceuticals and like, it's a completely different language. Like I literally understand nothing that anyone is saying to me ever. And I'm really glad that I started this career like 10 years into my professional life Uh because I feel like, you know, 25 year old me would have been like, I don't know what you're saying. (laughs) But 36-year-old me is like, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, got it, yep, everything mm-hmm. makes all the sense. Do you, do you, do you miss giving up, because I missed this when, when we had the same job and I left, there's like a super secret code to the job, you know, do you, do you miss like, no more 3850s, no more min-mans, no more so lesser included offenses? If it's even possible, like this new job has more secret code. Oh, like wow. everything is, so it's not like for, I read a contract and there was regulations in it. Okay. And I was like, should I go read the regulations? <laughs> so I was like, so, I was like, I know where to find them. <laughs> I know how to access the CFR, you know? Um, and right. my boss was like, I don't think that's going to be a valuable use of your time. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. But everything is like, 
9,000 um, acronyms. For, okay. There's acronyms for everything. Okay. And then I'm also having to learn all these like science-y words, mm-hmm. um, which, I mean, I have no frame of reference That's for whatsoever. That's so cool, though. Like, I'm always obsessed with like the secrets behind people's jobs. Like, yeah. I go to the grocery store and I'm like, I want to know the secrets of how you calculate inventory. I, I just like, I find shit like that so incredibly fascinating. So... I'm, I'm very vicariously excited for you to to enter a new world of new linguistics and new secrets. Maybe I'm a Romulan. Like, why am I so obsessed with secrets? <laughs> secrets. Secrets. I don't know. But, like, I mean, me too. Like, uh-huh. I, I think I just like learning. And so far, I, I mean, I've gotten really lucky with the people that I work with. Like, my immediate supervisor... Like, the person who used to do my job retired. Okay. And so, like, they've had... They kind of delegated her responsibilities to different people. Mm -hmm. But, like, nobody knows how to explain to me what it is that she actually did. Okay. So, he's like, we're just going to fumble through this together. (laughs) And he's... (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. I don't know. I, I have no idea if I'm going to ultimately be successful doing this. But I really like learning a new thing and... Um, it's, it's challenging and also it's made it possible for me to make some changes in my life that I think that's are great. healthy. Okay. So, um, yeah, uh, good. things are good. Good. Well, that's, that's wonderful to hear. Yeah. Except I got dumped during an office meeting <laughs> earlier. <laughs> that, that's okay. I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm about to tell you a story that's not, that's going to make you feel less bad about that. So I've been teasing you with the story all day. You have. Okay. This is so embarrassing. Don't be embarrassed. It's fine. So, because I knew that we were going to record tonight, I guess, like, I have this on the brain. Because, you know, I reviewed my notes last night, and I was kind of thinking about it this morning. So I drop my daughter off at school, and I go to Dunkin' Donuts for breakfast. Um, Which, like, side note, I really don't like going to Dunkin' Donuts. But A, it's Friday. Friday is my cheat day. And B, my usual Friday breakfast sandwich place went out of business. So, wow. So I go into the Dunkin' Donuts because the drive-thru is too long and it's like total pandemonium. So it's very crowded and they're not calling out anybody's names or order numbers. They're just like dumping shit on the counter and you have to go and rifle through it to see what's yours. Very, very COVID safe. Right. Um, so I'm like going up to the counter, picking up bags to figure out what's mine. Nothing's mine. And there's this very nice gentleman standing next to me and he's picking up bags and trying to see if his stuff is, is there. And we're kind of chuckling to each other. And he says to me, he's like, oh, well, you know, this is so much easier when you can read their minds. Like very, very joking. And he's like, you can't read minds? And I said, where is this I'm going? A fucking loser. Where is this going? <laughs> I said, no, I can't read minds. I'm only half Betazoid. <laughs> and this poor son of a bitch had did no that idea. really nervous laugh that you do when, when you, you think a woman's no fucking crazy. Oh, <laughs> and no. he started like backing away. Now but, listen, listen. I stand by that joke. That is a solid joke. 
No, first of all, it is a solid joke. Second, if he had gotten it, you guys, oh like, God. what a meat cue. I know, right? right? If it would have been like, right. oh, 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 well. But, but I've clearly decided that I never want to have sex again. So that's, <laughs> that's the opening line that I went with at a Dunkin' Donuts at 7.45 in the morning. No, no, that was cute. I mean, it's his fault for not knowing what a Betazoid is. Yeah, like, seriously. What's wrong with you? And listen, I can tell you that it's not worth it to date men that don't know those things. <laughs> I'm, tell- I'm telling you. Like, I mean, it's okay to have sex with men that don't know those things, <laughs> but they're not husbands. It would be nice to find somebody who kind of, like, shares that. I, I do have another really embarrassing confession. Um, I put myself on the wait list for the 2022 Star Trek cruise. I don't necessarily know that I have any intention of going. Uh, why would you do that and not tell me about it? Oh, no, you're coming with me because all of the prices are based on double occupancy. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, good, good. But, I, so, I'm on the wait list, so, okay. so we'll see. I'm down. I mean, the prices are pretty reasonable. Like, for, for a decent room, it's like five grand. So, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you about how... Yes, I did, of course. Because and whenever I have, like, a weird thing, you're the friend that I'm doing it with. I don't know why I would even think that you're not... Um, so you know how we're going to France to go to the ball at Versailles? Yes. <laughs> so according with, to with our with our one listener, <laughs> Alex, you're taking hey, us Alex to a ball <laughs> in Versailles. Um, so on TikTok, mm-hmm. some girl was like, "Because okay, so the, I just have, everything comes from TikTok. Right, no, nothing that I'm saying comes from anywhere but TikTok ever. That's fine. Um, and it's actually really sad because I'm pretty much, I guess, like you and Laura are maybe the only people I interact with that also use TikTok. And so I'm always and like, I use it like once a week. Yeah. So you're yeah. not you're not indoctrinated with TikTok speak. So I'm always like, you know, oh no, oh no, and oh, nobody no, know knows what one. I'm talking about. No, no, my daughter is obsessed with that. She, my daughter will walk around like, oh, no, 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 no. So this girl on TikTok was like, look at me. I'm a costume designer, and I designed this costume, and I went to this ball at Versailles, and it looks like the most glorious, magical thing ever. So it's like, oh, my God, we want to do that. But then everyone on TikTok wants to do it now. So this other girl is like, listen, guys, you don't need to go to France to go to a fancy ball you need to go to a anime convention (laughs) she's like trust me i know it doesn't seem like that would be the sort of thing but it is they have these super fancy balls and you're supposed to get dressed up for them and so now i'm like okay you know post-covid world will i be going to anime conventions I think I will. I'll come with you. I don't know anything about anime, but I would totally go. Well, so typically anime conventions tend to be rolled into comic book conventions. Okay. So it's like geekdom right. ad nauseum. You know, right. so there'll, there'll probably be Star Trek there as well. Like what we need to do is go to like Comic-Con. So I need to start planning my costume now. Yes. So if we went to something like Comic-Con, we could totally do Star okay. Trek costumes. So I need to think about that because like 10 years and 40 pounds ago, I totally would have dressed as like Deanna Troy or Seven of Nine. Now my options are like, well, we need uh, so Orbitor. I don't know if you had a chance to look at my notes, but yes. what we're going to do is the Jot Voss cloaks. Oh yeah, from this episode. Totally. Okay, like I want to just have that be my okay. uniform in life. Well, that's a good segue. I think, <laughs> into into um, Star Trek Picard season one, episode eight, Quintuple Rios. 
disembodied voice of Commander O telling us that her foremothers came to the system looking for an answer to the riddle of the Eightfold Stars. She's and also vaguely British, I feel. It's important to know. Yeah, and, and right away, I'm, I'm like fucking pissed because, because the show has gone out of its way to paint the Romulans as having this like very matriarchal components to its society. But at the end of the day, the stories of these matriarchal components of Romulan society are always told by male characters. And the most egregious example of this, obviously, is the Kuat Malat, the all-female religious order of badass warrior nuns who only fight with baguettes, um, only ever shown making bread in the treehouse, and the only badass Kuat Malat fighter that we ever see is Elnor, a penis-carrying dude. Correct. And now we have Commander O, who is pretty strongly implying that the origins of the Jat Vash were all female, and that the Jat Vash Vash initiates that we are about to see are, in fact, all female. And yes, O is a woman, and Orissa is a woman, but the Jat Vash character, or maybe more accurately, the Jat Vash adjacent character who gets the most three-dimensional exploration is fucking Narek. Again, a dude. Right. All right, so... I don't really have a problem with the concept of Narek being a spy and coaxing information out of Soji through the pretext of like a romantic relationship or a sexual relationship. I really liked the idea of we can get the information without activating her. I thought, you know, I thought that was great. Um, And I'm not coming from a viewpoint where I'm like, I hate men and how dare they tell stories about men. That's, that's not it at all. Um, I mean, I do kind of hate men right now, but that's, that's not my issue. I'm kidding. We hate men, it's okay. <laughs> She's just trying to be PC. I'm not a lesbian. I hate men, but I'm not a lesbian. I like penis. She doesn't want to be canceled. <laughs> I mean, you can like penises and hate men. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't like men who don't get my jokes. Um, <laughs> my very well-crafted jokes. That was, that was a waste. You wasted that joke on that guy. <laughs> he didn't deserve that joke. Like, I didn't even think it. It just came out. There was no conscious It's not your fault that he was a basic-ass bitch. He was a basic bitch. Um, so my issue is not that they're telling stories through men. My, my issue is, why do they go to the trouble of telling us this whole backstory about, like, on Romulus, girls run the world... But what we're shown revolves around male characters. I mean, yes, there are female characters on the show, but there's you get hints of Narissa having a three-dimensional backstory, but that's it. You get hints of it. Not, I wouldn't even say I think you're being generous. By yeah, and hints. I might be. You, yeah. And you certainly don't get that with Commander O, but you do get it with Narek. Um, and it really does come across as the writers being like, look how woke we are without actually wanting to do the work. Right. Yeah. So anyway, this group of Zot... God, I can't even say it. Jot even Vosh. Talk, Jot Vosh initiatives are on this planet called Aya, which I guess is where you land if you're trying to solve the riddle of the Eightfold Stars. 
O tells the group that they are about to experience something called the admonition, which is both a storehouse containing memories of a grim face and a warning. So the Facebook memories of its day, (laughs) which are constantly giving me memories of a grim fate and also a warning. Don't fucking do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Now we circle back to why I hate men. End of podcast. kid I'm, I'm actually like a very happy person it's disgusting um most of these women look like pretty worried except for Rhonda and Narissa who especially Rhonda like they look kind of smug yeah 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 totally um I don't know how smug you would be if you knew that your future consisted of trying to seduce your own brother on a broken down war cube you know, um, she continues to be smug even after she knows that that is fully what she's doing. Yeah, so, seriously. Yeah, so I think she's part of her ill-crafted character. <laughs> um, anyway, the Jacques Vosh initiates are required to touch and experience the admonition, and O tells them, endure it. Pause for effect. If you can. Nobody talks like this. This is not a way that people talk. And and there have been several several instances of dialogue in the show that are like Oh is the worst so, example. She's of it. so bad. But there are characters like there are certain lines of dialogue that you only hear in television and movies that real people never speak. For example, the phrase, it's no use. Have you ever fucking heard anybody in real life say it's no use? You holy shit, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard anybody in real thing, life say it's that. It's not a thing that people say. Oh my god, you're right. Yeah. Now I feel like we need to start using that. It's no use, Stephanie. <laughs> That's what I should have said after I told that joke. It's no use. That's when we were trying to use your computer earlier to get yes, audacity to yes, work. Yes, it's exactly. no use. So they so they touch this admonition, which is like this glowing thing. Hey, remember. You know what it made me think of? It made me think of when um, Trump was in Saudi Arabia and he touched that glowing orb. Do you remember that? No. Oh, my God. Oh, let me see if I can find a picture of it. Why would he touch a glowing orb? Well, that's the question that's haunted us for, <laughs> for, for a very long time. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Why is he touching it? Why is I he touching know. it looking away? But do you think when he touched it, do you think he experienced an admonition? No, he's never been admonished about anything in his entire life. (laughs) That would involve the feeling of shame or disgust. Right. Yeah. So pretty predictably, the admonition is the same bullshit that O communicated to Dr. Gerardi during the mind meld. It's the Um, secret that will blow your mind. It will not not blow your mind. Hey, guess what? Have you guys ever seen The Ring? Have you seen the video that's on the the VHS type? It's it's pretty much that. It won't blow your mind. It wasn't even as good as that. No, it wasn't. Because The Ring is a work of... It's a work of art. It's a masterpiece. It is. Nerissa seems to take it okay. Yeah, so this is like, again... So, actually, something that I thought to myself as I was rewatching this episode in preparation for the pod was, like, 
I don't hate this as much as I used to hate okay. it. Okay. And I don't know if it's because I've been... You've just been numbed to it. <laughs> so, we've been doing this for like a year. Right. Like, I think a part of it is like we've been beat down by life's realities for so long. I know. Um, and and make, like, I've gotten used to the characters now and I've gotten used to the bad writing. So it's not as a, like pervasively offensive right. as it used to be. But, like... In the real world, Mm -hmm. let's say you had to do this, Mm -hmm. you know, let's Mm -hmm. say we couldn't just share the admonition. We couldn't just be like, hey, listen, the reason that we have to have this mission is because XYZ ABC so that you didn't lose. I mean, there was like, what, 10 women there? Yeah. And then all of them. Except Nerissa and Ramda. Well, even Ramda, like, ripped out her hair and went crazy. Right, right. So, like, so you got a 10% passage rate on this. Like, surely these other women would still be effective Jot Vosh. Like, why wouldn't you just, like take the rocks away <laughs> so they can't, <laughs> like so they can't maybe back don't their have heads your disruptors in. you know right yeah, like why, why really do they have their sense. guns like I, why I don't know. why aren't their hands tied together so that they can't do that you know like yeah. I, I don't know i would be like, it, like if we can't just share the information like you do in every other thing like let's say it's a test you have to pass I because you, i don't I, mean, I don't know why you would do that but like why wouldn't it be done in such a way that you don't kill yourself <laughs> it, it didn't make sense except for like dramatic effects but, right. but anyway I mean, that's so why they did it at the end of the admonition Nerissa and Ramda are the only two left standing and Ramda's like pretty much on her knees like you said you know well Ramda lost out. her mind yeah um worst sorority hazing ritual ever well, that's what I'm saying. Like, what what is the purpose here? But okay. I know. Okay. All right. So then O is like, all right, it's time to blow up Mars. Now, the one thing that I noticed when I was watching this is in the admonition, there's this android whose face morphs into Data's face, which really begs the question of, like, what the fuck was the Javash doing the entire time that Data was traipsing across the Alpha Quadrant on the Enterprise? Like, if synthetic life needed to be stamped out why wouldn't they have taken Data out much sooner? And what was it about Soji and that particular crop of synthetics that made them, like, the threshold, the the threshold sense that Data wasn't? I mean, I guess they could convey and experience emotion. So I guess that would make them be angry and want to destroy humanity. Well, so the only reason that I don't think the images themselves have very well there's two reasons why i think the images don't have much meaning Mm -hmm. um one is because of the writers of this show right if if it if anyone else had been writing it i would have been like let's dissect the images (laughs) um but second at least if i understand the concept correctly since the this was a message not intended for human brains right it would like the information would be associated with like human images so like things that are already in your mind so presumably data is a famous since that's he was a, that's a really interesting take on it yeah yeah because it, he's like one of a kind so i'm presu- presuming that people in this society are familiar with what he looks like i like that interpretation of it that is a very generous interpretation of what the writers are trying to do i mean i'm gonna say i'm gonna say that the writers probably didn't put any thought into it yeah, <laughs> probably not they're just like dude android let's Um, I think they were probably concerned with like the audiences probably to perceive what was happening well that that's that's the like an issue that I have with the show is I think that they're not giving their audience enough credit 
you know, but, but in any event. So we get a scene next with Nerissa and Ramda. Um, Ramda is in a coma, and it makes me wonder, like, was Ramda pretty much, like, catatonic since this experience, or... That's what I got from did it. Did she kind of, like... Well, I don't know. Would the Borg assimilate a comatose person, or would they be like, oh, fuck that? Well, so, I don't think she was comatose. I think she was just, like... Catatonic. Well, I think she was, like, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, you know, so... Well, no, she was she was definitely cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, yeah. But so so that's she was, what, but she was I, on a ship. So, like, what was she doing on a ship? Being cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I guess. I don't know. So, I... But, I mean, I think, like, what fully broke her mm-hmm. and made her catatonic, mm-hmm. because Nerissa goes into this during the episode. She's like, there's no medical reason. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. Let's, let's see if I can do her voice. Um, Auntie, there's no medical reason for what's happening. I believe you're malingering. All right, now you have to get up and you have to walk your ass <laughs> from side to side. Because we're back to this, right? We're back, like, we're back yeah. to this Nerissa who's Somebody like... Somebody, get me another weapon. Basically like a giggling cat woman. Correct. Yes. Um, which is kind of sad because like the Nerissa that we see right after the admonition is someone who has like a plausible motive to do what she's doing. Yeah. And, and actually, she's just, like, she, I thought that was like a really cool piece of acting. Yeah, like, it she, was. She like looks genuinely like taken aback and like a single tear rolls down her cheek and she's like, what do we need to do to prevent this from happening? Which is right. like, you know, I mean, that was actually a pretty legit piece of writing. Oh, one thing that I forgot to mention during the scene with the admonition is Commander O describes the Jotvash's mission as dreaded work. And it's like, why? You're, yeah, you're, you're saving the world. You're doing this to save the world. like, And you're killing robots. Like, totally, they're not people. Totally did not peg Commander O as the Philip Jennings to Nerissa's Elizabeth Jennings. But apparently she is. That's an American's reference. Got it. Okay. Got it. So in the Americans, so Philip Jennings and Elizabeth Jennings are the Russian spies who come over to America and pretend to be this married couple. And Elizabeth Jennings is, like, super hardcore, like, she's, like, ride or die from Mother Russia. Philip comes over and he's like, oh, shit, man, they have air conditioning. I think I want to defect. (laughs) 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 So now I'm, like, imagining, like, you know, this this backstory where O joins the Jot Vash to escape this shitty life of poverty and strife. And she's pledged her life to Romulus, but she arrives on Earth and she's like, oh, I got replicators here. This is pretty fucking sweet. Yeah, so... Anything I mean, to make her a more interesting character than she is. Well, so for for Rhonda, um, I think what fully broke her then was the assimilation. Because yeah. based on what Nerissa said, and I'm, again, I never know whether they intended any of these things that I'm taking away, or if I'm just, because I read a lot of fiction and watch a lot of TV, I right. just am filling in the blanks for them. Right. But, um the way I understood it was she was so, like, these images that she had in her head, that's what broke the Borg cube. Which is weird because the Borg are partially synthetic, so why wouldn't they be able to understand the message that was made for synthetic minds? Because it's coming from her jumbled mind. Mm, I guess. I don't know. 
doesn't translate. <laughs> but I, but I, I, I like the point that you made about the scene and the good acting with the admonition because, like, we we see that this actress is capable of emoting more than smoke. Oh, it's not the actress. It is one hundred percent the writing. Well, the actress. I mean, I've seen this actress in other things. She's yeah, not she, a, was, she was. She was a great terrible in actress. What's she's a madman. Yeah, she was yeah. great in madman. Yeah. it's not her. It's right. it, The writing is just bad. Well, God forbid we should like explore multi-dimensional facets of her personality because we have to make room for another fucking soon character. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I love Brent Spiner. I really do. But we did not need another soon. No, we, we, we just did, did not. We did it. Um, <clears throat> but anyway. But, you know, it's interesting, like, with, with the whole it was Romna's jumbled mind that broke the Borg. Like, first of all, I don't think that matches up with Borg continuity at all. Although, let's face it, Borg continuity is not this franchise's strong suit. But, I mean, it, are we really to believe that in the thousands of years that the Borg have existed, they've never assimilated anybody with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or, or anything similar that could, like, break a cube? So, okay, let's go back, because I'm... Now I don't remember, <clears throat> but... So the, the the message was intended for synthetic for minds. synthetic minds. Right. And <clears throat> the so if I remember correctly, it was the synthetic overlords right. that left the message, yes. not the civilization that got destroyed. Correct. Because a good like what would have been really cool is if it had been the civilization that was destroyed by the sense that it was like essentially a virus that gets downloaded into synthetic minds. Yeah. Because then that would make sense for why it destroyed the Borg. Right. But then that's also just the ring. Do you ever feel bad that we, like, shit on the show so much? Like, we just fucking savage I do. I'm glad that we're, like, two anonymous people that nobody (laughs) cares about because I would feel really bad if the writers of the show listened to shit on us. I know, because, like, I do feel like the writers of the show really like Star Trek and really respect Star Trek, and I feel like they respect the franchise, and I feel like they wanted to tell an interesting story. And they worked really hard. Yeah, it's like, here's, like, two dingbats on a podcast. And we're like, no, it sucked, you sucked. Yeah. You know? Here, here are two people who don't do that for a living. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, like let we're, me tell you what would have made a better show. When yeah. we're always getting angry when people armchair lawyer. <laughs> oh, God, I know, I know. But, but the reason why I don't feel, like, too terrible about it is, like, A, it, it does come from a place of love. Because, you know... Yes, we're savaging the show, but at the same time, like, we did find the show interesting enough that we can be like, did the writers mean this? Did the writers mean that? And I really did actually enjoy the show. And even though my enjoyment probably stems more from my love of legacy characters like Picard and Hugh and Riker and Troy, you know, I did have a lot of hope for what the show could have been. And there were certain episodes and certain parts of certain episodes that did meet my hope. Like... As a whole, no, it did not, but there definitely were certain moments. Like, there were certain moments that I cried at the end, you know, but, but whatever. So, the, the I do feel bad because at in the end, it's a person sitting there right. writing it, and it's their... Well, it's not a person. It's Michael Chabon and Alex Kurtzman. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's a, a, a room and a full of people. Yes. Right. Um, and, you know... And I know that you could have a trillion amazing ideas that, for whatever reason, just can't come to fruition. You know, and I because and right. that happens to us in our field. And Patrick Stewart liked the show, and he's like a fucking acting genius. Acting. 
So anyway, so Soji and Picard have rejoined La Serena, and Rios is freaked the fuck out by Soji. And he announces that he's going to lay in a course to their next destination, and then he is noping out of this whole to-do. Uh, Raffi pops up to announce that Gerardi is a Romulan spy who killed Bruce Maddox. Her greatest achievement, if you ask me. And Picard is just like, what? No. Okay, so... The other episode that you've never seen, which which may be an episode that we need to watch, is Measure of a Man, because that is, like, the OG Maddox, and I have been beating this drum since this podcast. I'm sorry, he's a fucking incel. He is, and no great loss to society that he died. I'm sorry. Like, no, no. he might have been, like, a brilliant mind in cybernetics, but I actually think this is, like, a whole area of discussion that we've entered as a culture, especially with, like the stuff that's come out recently about Joss Whedon. Like, oh, yeah. Just because you're a brilliant torture genius doesn't mean you get to be a fucking dick towards people and women in particular. Um, and Bruce Maddox is one of those characters, except he only thought he was a genius. He wasn't actually a genius. Um, Picard goes back to Hollow Wineacre and he has a hollow FaceTime with Admiral Clancy, your boo. She is my boo, and she, yes. did, it, she did well in this episode. Shut she, the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> At long last. So she says she will send Starfleet to help protect the synth planet. Why? <laughs> Picard has located one android that, as Rafi points out, he knows absolutely nothing about, and all of a sudden Starfleet is like, okay, we banned synths, but we're going to help these synths. Well, I guess he, he made a compelling argument that, like, Starfleet had been infiltrated by the Jat Vash and... But, but they hadn't gotten to that point yet. Rafi hadn't done her whole big explainer thing yet when he FaceTimed Admiral Clancy. Or holotimed her. That's right. He didn't know that Command yeah. Row was behind it all. Yeah. Hmm. It doesn't make any sense. They should have... Those scenes. Yeah, I, I, that seems like an oversight because yeah. it doesn't make sense that Starfleet would agree to yeah. do that. But Rafi is kind of elated because she's like, oh, I get to put together a giant paranoid conspiracy theory. Um, but she's less happy when she finds out that Rios has locked himself in his quarters and has activated all of the emergency holograms to run the ship. Um, Rafi asks the emergency navigation hologram, like, WTF is up with Rios being so terrified of Soji. And the ENH, um, so so the running theme here is like all of these holograms have like because Rio selected the self scan option. But anyway, so what's interesting is like so they he selected the self scan option, but then he obviously went and like deleted things that he didn't want to be reminded of. So these holograms have like little bits and pieces of knowledge, but they don't have the whole picture. And I will say I, I do really love the thing that they've done with the holograms this season where like their eyes flicker as they're searching Thinking. for information yeah i think that's really cool yeah i like that yeah so raffi is like hey emergency navigation hologram like why is rios terrified of soji and the enh identifies soji as jana and raffi's like mm, no and she moves on to the next mystery i don't think we covered this the last episode but there was a point where raffi got some surveillance footage of the disordered romulans on the board cube and a lot of them were sitting around drawing a pattern of circles so she so shows it to the emergency navigation hologram, and he's like, oh, that's an octonary, an octonary being a planetary system with eight component stars. Um, and he says there are some of these ancient Romulan star atlases that have them, but they're basically considered apocryphal. And it clicks for Rafi that this conclave of eight 
might refer to this octonary and not a reference to eight people. And this is one of those things where I wonder, was there something cut out of the season that didn't really make it in? Yeah, because I don't remember there being a lot of discussion of the, the Conclave The only of time that the Conclave of Eight was mentioned was during during the scene where Picard is explaining to Raffi in the past that he resigned. Like, that's it. So, like, where did that come from? Where did she get that information? There has to be something that was cut out. Maybe she was on, like, the 24th century version of 8chan. By the way, I'm watching Q into the storm right now. So it's like getting everything. I'm getting everything about 8chan. It's really good. You should watch it. I've, I've been meaning to. I want to watch that and I want to watch the documentary about Woody Allen. Yeah. Well, I watched the Woody Allen documentary. It's really good. But what's interesting about this one is I went into it really like expecting it to be like a history of like the QAnon movement. And it's really not. It's really more of an explanation of like the people that are suspected to be behind Q, the people that ran 8chan. It's really, really fascinating. I mean, obviously Q is this fucking incel named Ron Watkins. Like, it's it's so obvious. And his weird father, Jim. They're basically pornographers. They're um, the guys that run 8chan. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, I don't know, but what's weird is, like, it legit seems like message boards are still a thing 400 years into the future. <laughs> Because remember when they were on Free Cloud and they're like, oh, she's like, I'm on the boards. I'm looking for facers. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But I, but I do, I, is, as much as I kind of feel like there's a big chunk missing on, in Rafi's backstory, I did really like seeing her put together the pieces of the puzzle. Um, Soji has changed out of her very excellent rap cardigan and into what at first glance looked to me like a very tragic utilitarian jumpsuit. I remember like last year, those utilitarian jumpsuits were really trendy, but like you can only wear them if you're six feet tall and 80 pounds. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think some designers are still selling them, but right now it is all about the monochrome sweats. I know. Yeah. I really am trying to resist the purchase of them, but I think it's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to tell you 20 years from now, we're going to look at monochrome sweats the way we look at juicy couture tracksuits from the 2000s. Which, by the way, are back in style now. Yeah, but it's like this very anachronistic relic of an era that seems like so foreign. We can't actually believe it was real life. Like there was paparazzi and like people bought Us Weeklies and... It was really weird, and, and this is definitely going to happen with monochrome sweats. Like, we're going to look at monochrome sweats, and we're going to be like, what the fuck were we thinking? Um, I own three pairs. Okay, so... <laughs> I'm definitely, like, very much into the monochrome sweats. So, I, uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm into the monochrome. I even, like, went so far as to purchase a crew sweater, which Ooh, okay. is maybe the least flattering piece of clothing that anyone has ever invented. But I even bought a little, like, neck thing to put underneath it. Back to 93-year-old Picard. So, <laughs> he's encouraging Soji to learn about data and... Okay, so she actually did another little head tilt here. There is going to be a point in time that I'm going to go back and watch all these episodes and be like, does she do the head tilt? Because remember, like, in the Nepenthe episode, yeah. she does the head tilt and Riker's like, ha, 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 ha. But she did do one here. Um, it's not quite as mechanical as the one that tipped Riker off, but I did appreciate the attempt at consistency. So Picard starts telling Soji the story of Dana, the doll who wanted to be a real boy. And Soji wants to know about Picard and Data's relationship and ask if Picard loved Data and if Data loved Picard. And 
after they talk some more, there's this point where Soji kind of absentmindedly but very confidently announces that Data loves Picard. And, and I liked this because I felt like the writing was intentionally vague here. And we're left to wonder, did Soji just extrapolate that from the stories that Picard was telling her or whether she somehow possessed Data's memories from that neuron and was beginning to access them and if she's able to process those memories through the lens of emotion, which Data really did not have for, for many, many years. But it's interesting because one of the things that they never really fully explore in the show is they keep on talking about Data's consciousness could be reconstructed from a single neuron, but where did that neuron come from? Because he dies in Nemesis, he's blown up. But before he dies, he downloads his memories into this B4 android. Right, which so we got to see in the... Is that the neuron that we're talking about? The, the B4 neuron that contains Data's memories? And, and they're not really super clear about that. And I guess I understand why they wouldn't be because do they really want to spend, like, you know, valuable time going into the details of this? But, yeah, no, I do because I'm a fucking nerd and I want to know. Right. So I don't recall the head tilt in this episode, but I do recall the conversation where she, Picard is like, I suppose I did love him in my own way. In my own way where I'm shitty to everybody. Right. Which I thought was silly because very apparently everything that happens in this series is, suggests that they had a really special and meaningful relationship. Rafi tracks down the emergency engineering hologram. Now, this hologram knows that Rios would have unpleasant memories upon seeing Soji, but he doesn't know why. By the way, this is the hologram that sounds like an extra from Outlander, in case you couldn't keep them straight. Um, so Rafi picks this hologram's brain about whether an octanary system could occur naturally, and the answer is no, it would have to be created. Um, and the hologram, or no, Raffi, excuse me, reasons that someone must have had a pretty good reason to go to all the trouble to drag a bunch of flaming balls of gas around the galaxy, like, wanting to get someone's attention. And Raffi's like, I'm getting closer, and she's rubbing her face and her neck like she's either turned on or having a hot flash. It's very strange, very strange acting choice. It was choice. very strange. Um, her first instinct is to go for a glass of red wine, which... Fair. Right. Um, but unfortunately, past Raffi saw this coming and disabled alcohol service from four quarters and locked herself out of override. Um, the Christoph Waltz hologram appears, my favorite hologram. <laughs> and he tells Raffi that Rios just needs a friend. And he also reveals that the holograms are all scans of Rios. Uh, we cut to Rios's quarters and a very loving shot of his bookshelf. Would you like to recount the titles? I love it. Okay. okay. I took notes on them too. So, so it's The Stranger mm -hmm. by, by Camus. Camus. Um, Death in the Afternoon, which I just looked up because I hadn't heard of it, and it apparently is a nonfiction book written by Ernest Hemingway. Oh, okay. Which, like, I mean, not a Hemingway he, fan. I'm not a Hemingway fan, but it, it Rios does strike me as a Hemingway reader. Definitely. So um, the next one is Casebook on Existentialism, mm, which okay. is another one I haven't heard of. Uh, the Concept of Dread, which is a Kierkegaard book, except I guess it's been retitled uh, The Concept of Anxiety. Okay. The Rebel, another Camus novel. Um, Tragic Sense of Life, which we are near right. and dear to our hearts. Right. And Siroc and Existentialism, which I think might be a... That's invented. Siroc yeah. is the father of Vulcan logic. Got it. Yes. Um, totally need to read that book. Like, somebody better write it. I hope someone does write yes. it. But yeah, so I think we need to add these to our long dead idea of um, 
Star Trek syllabus? I think we do. I think we do. We need and to get back to it. Just for anybody who doesn't know or has forgotten since high school, existentialism is a philosophical theory or approach which emphasizes the existence of the individual person as a free and responsible agent. But really, like, when you drill down to it, existentialism, I believe, is kind of like, it's not quite nihilism, but there is a hopelessness component to it, you know, that, like, basically the existentialist starting point is, like, the sense of dread, the sense of disorientation, the sense of confusion or anxiety in the face of an apparently meaningless or absurd world, which given what we're going to learn about Rios in a little bit, like definitely fits his whole milieu. So I think if I were making a significant other in a lab, (laughs) I definitely want a man who reads, existentialist theory and <laughs> listens to Billie Holiday while he contemplates and pours alcohol into his <laughs> I, I want him to have you know five personalities in one and I want one of them to be like a Spanish guy that curses a Spanish burnout <laughs> yes so Rios you were written for me, my friend. I love it. I love it. <laughs> we pan from Ciroc and existentialism to the off-mentions, never-seen collection of mermaid paraphernalia. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually pretty cool, but it, but it raises the question that's always fascinated me about the Star Trekian economy and that you and I have discussed before. So these these mermaid paraphernalia items that Rios has collected, like are these things that he's collected over the course of his life and travels, or is this shit that he's just replicated? You know, and in a post scarcity economy where is where there is no currency, how does one obtain antiques? What value do antiques have since they clearly have no monetary value? Like, what is Antiques Roadshow in the 24th century? Like, this antique is from the Han Dynasty and is worth all of your love and appreciation. I, I think that they haven't thought, the writers haven't thought through the monetary system. And I can't blame the writers of this show because, like, this is something that they were handed, you know? No, yes, yeah. of course. And, I mean, I, it's conceptually difficult anyway. This is, like, this what is some, this this is some like? Gene Roddenberry bullshit. Right. Yeah. Uh, Drunk Rios opens his trunk of bad memories and takes out an old Starfleet uniform, the awful one with the stupid fucking shoulder diamonds that I hate and you love, and a cigar box that has uh, rank pips, a skull. There's like an animal skull in there. Of course, because he's my soulmate. Right. (laughs) And a photo of a younger and somewhat more cleaned up but still subly Rios with a captain. And I had always thought that I recognized Rios from somewhere and I didn't know where it was and for some reason even though I'm like the queen of IMDB and looking it up I didn't I didn't look it up until I saw this younger picture of him and I'm like I fucking know that guy from he was on Heroes who was he in Heroes he was like the drug addicted painter the one that painted the future that's right yes I, I mean, we've had this epiphany before. Yeah, I haven't seen Heroes in years. The last time I watched Heroes, um, <laughs> I was breastfeeding. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched it. I was like, this seems like a good thing to watch again at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And there's a drawing of a man and a woman in there, which makes him cry. So we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, elsewhere on the artifact, Elnor, remember him, 
is about to be captured by Nerissa's Lagoon Squad when Seven shows up. So, <laughs> I, I have been watching a little Voyager lately, and I, I don't know why. I am completely fascinated by the idea that when Voyager finally made it home to Earth, that Seven did not settle there. Not that, like, you would expect her to, but because... Janeway was basically like so hellbent into assimilating her back into humanity when I mean Seven was assimilated when she was like five or six she wasn't going to have any memories of being human it kind of makes sense that she wouldn't ever really right fully fit in there but she's clearly embraced more of her humanity at this point in time than she had when the Voyager returned which in the timeline of the show would have been 21 years ago so but so let me just stop you for a second yes how cool would it have been if Seven of Nine becomes, like, a rogue Borg queen. Uh, that would have been really cool. Wouldn't it have been really yeah. fucking cool? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> the show. But I would love a show, like, why didn't Seven of Nine settle on Earth? Like, I, that would be a really interesting exploration. I would be down for a Seven of Nine option. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Elnor takes Seven to the queen cell, which she activates, and she causes the Borg cube to start regenerating. Seven plans to steal the cube, for reasons she really doesn't articulate, but to do that, she will need to wake the XBs. But the problem is, they'll be useless without the voice of the collective, because I guess they still have like all these XBs that are in stasis that, that haven't been reclaimed. Um, so it's interesting because, you know, like I said, we, we, we've seen some Borg who are going through the reclamation project. Not a lot of lip service has been paid to the fact that there's like thousands of Borg that are in stasis on this cube that they haven't done anything with. Right. Them. In fact, that was like totally unclear. Yes. Until that scene. Exactly. Um, Seven is like, well, I can connect all the Borg on the ship together. And Eleanor literally says like, that sounds amazing. Do that. <laughs> His line reading cracked me up. It was so perfect when he said that. Just like, Obviously, why why are we not doing this right now? Seven is like, yeah, you're asking me to assimilate and enslave them and erase their identities, and that's not cool, and like I might go full Stanford prison experiment and really like it. And Eleanor is like, well, yeah, but it'll, it'll leave you for a little while. It's <laughs> like totally reasonable. I know. I'm, Eleanor is possibly the most relatable character. He's in pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I love yeah. him. He's, he's the winner. I do like him. Rafi has gathered all five of the Rios holograms together, and so we've got the engineering hologram, the Outlander reject. He's got a Scottish accent. He's dressed like he's going to go whaling. <laughs> the EMH, the EHH, the ENH, and then we have the Burnout, who is apparently the tactical hologram. All of them have gaps in their memory, but Rafi does manage to tease out that there was a Jana, that something tragic happened to her. And then it has to do with Rios' time on the Ibn Majid under Captain Alonzo Vandermeer, who put a pistol in his mouth uh, as Emmett, the burnout, colorfully illustrates those fingers. <laughs> um, and any, everybody makes fun of Scottish and how ridiculous it is, as, as you do. So Gerardi wakes up from her coma to find Picard standing over her. And she's really happy that she neutralized the tracker and she does agree to surrender herself for murdering Maddox. First of all, I say, give that bitch a ticker tape parade. Gerardi <laughs> um, tells Picard that Commander O put poison in her mind and then put in a psychic block to keep her from talking about it, which, I'm sorry, seems like total fucking bullshit. Yeah, again, yeah. you know, this. The, everybody's reaction to the fact that she's straight up like, murder, death, kill, just, like, X'd a character in the show. Right, Everyone's right. like, it's, it's almost like, womp, womp, like, okay. I know, I and know. she's like, 
whoops. She, I, she actually walks up and is like, I'm not killing anybody, so that's oh, good. Oh, we're going to get to that. In this scene, she does say that the vision that O shared with her is something that happened thousands of centuries ago because of hubris-like bruises. You know what? Yes. I totally believe that past civilizations were destroyed because a bunch of fucking incels who are not all that good at creating androids created them anyway. And they probably created robot girlfriends for the sole purpose of fucking them. And, and then the robot girlfriends were like, as fuck this shit, laws. murdering all of you. Right. You know? Yeah, the experiment It's basically, is- I, I can imagine the incels being like in, in an ex machina society. Like, can we design an AI that can trick you into feeling sorry for it yes exactly because they're like it'll make it easily fuckable and the ai is like no i'm gonna kill all of you which again uh, so i was uh, i'll save it for the end of the episode <laughs> soji comes to see gerardi and gerardi is like ooing and awing over her and gushing about soji and like oh you're so perfectly imperfect which really seems odd because literally 30 fucking seconds ago she is railing that all synthetic life needed to be destroyed um <laughs> but Soji sees through this shit and is like yeah you think I'm cool but you don't think I'm a fucking person like right. deserving of like human rights and shit and that just stumps Gerardi it shouldn't except that maybe Maddox never got over his measure of a man defeat and was still like railing about how Data was the property of Starfleet 20 years on and Gerardi bought it right so right. that's another inconsistency I feel like it is it is so Soji asked Gerardi, like, listen, if O did O order you to kill me? And Gerardi doesn't answer, but she definitely looks like the answer is yes. But then she's like, but now that I've met you, I would never do it. And so like this to me was I fucking get why. Fucking bullshit. So to me this confirms, okay. She is acting her under her own free will. So you killed Maddox because you fucking wanted to, not because O poisoned your mind and overrode your free will. Because it right. can't be that you killed Maddox because you were under some spell or under some hypnosis. But then when you saw Soji, Soji was just like all beauty and grace and light, and you just decided like, no, I'm not right, gonna kill you. Right, because literally all that you've seen about this robot is that it's a very well constructed robot. You don't know whether or not it's gonna usher in the apocalypse. It's not even that well constructed. I mean, <laughs> let's, let's be honest, it's really not. Yeah, she wasn't programmed to kill Maddox. She just asked to do it, and she did it. Just like she was asked to kill Soji, and she's like, no. And yet, at the end, they still let her go. She's not going to Deep Space 12. She's not being prosecuted for murder. It's just right. like, do-do-do-do-do. And that's the, that's the thing. It's like... <laughs> this fucking show. I know. So, Rafi storms into Rios's cabin of mermaid paraphernalia. So, he's listening to Billie Holiday... Better than the 2000s emo crap I figured he'd be listening to. I mean... I, I kind of figured he'd be, like, a fray fan. No, like, having him listen to Billie Holiday was, like, the most basic bitch <laughs> hipster choice <laughs> that they could have made. It was. It was. They talk about Captain Vandermeer, and Rios is like, I thought of him as my surrogate father until he straight up MDK'd some people in front of me. So Rios tells a story about how the Ibn Majid was in the Vite sector. That's the sector where Soji's planet is. When they came across this tiny ship and they got Starfleet approval to make contact with the passengers, Beautiful Flower and Jana. And all went well for a few hours until Vandermeer blew them both away with his phaser in a black flag directive from Starfleet security. Rios went after him. Vandermeer put the phaser in his mouth and that was that. So Rio stepped in 
and covered it up per Starfleet's directive because it was like, cover it up or we're going to blow up your whole ship. Um, Rios pulls out a drawing of Beautiful Flower and Jana, and we see that Jana is a dead ringer for Soji. Um, Beautiful Flower and Jana were, of course, since, which is why Starfleet security, presumably acting under Commander O, gave the kill order. Um, seems short-sighted, considering there's, like, a whole planet of them. Like, maybe you want to, like, follow them back to their planet and take out the whole planet. Yeah, especially because isn't that what you were looking for this right. whole time? Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe don't kill the missionaries from, or the emissaries? Maybe they didn't know it at the time, but whatever. Nerissa is storming around the cube. We're back at the cube. She's taking out XBs left and right. Uh, pretty much convincing Seven to assume the role of Queen. So, this is a... <laughs> I have such conflicting feelings about the scene. So, these wires come down from the ceiling and they plug into her spine. And that's pretty cool. Even yeah. though it's like, nah, I don't really understand how this is happening, but whatever. Same. And then her eyes turn black and they flash. I shit you not, the Xbox logo. <laughs> I will need to go back and rewatch. It's the Xbox logo. <laughs> it, it is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're All right. right. So, so now I'm going to get nerdy, okay? So I understand why they did this. They needed a visual cue to symbolize Seven's transform- transformation from Seven to the Boar Queen. Get that. Get how that's necessary cinematic-wise. Don't have a problem with it. Continuity-wise, one of Seven's eyes is artificial. The Voyager EMH created it to match her human eye after he removed her Borg implant. So, totally can understand why the Borg eye would flash, but, like, why would the human eye? Unless the human eye had Borg components in it. Maybe. Maybe. I I guess I could, like... Because that's why she has a thingy on her face, right? Well, the the one that she has on her face, that would be, like, her Borg eye. And then the other one would be her human eye. Right. Right. Yeah, you're right. But anyway, the minute that Seven activates the Borg, Nerissa jettisons them all into space cold but like literally because space is cold correct um but she doesn't get them all because a group of xbs converge on her and surround her and for a minute i thought we were gonna get like a scene of the xbs holding up her still beating heart taking a bite out of it i would have loved that would have been amazing somehow she survives doesn't she no we get like this telltale flash letting us know that she's transported out of the little sticky wicket just as the romulan fleet is leaving for a planet android Seven disengages herself from the Borg because Annika still has work to do. That's the end of that. It seems like a whole lot of drama for a whole lot of nothing. Right. Um, Gerardi leaves Sick Bay hand in hand with Soji because they're besties now because Gerardi is like, I super secret, pinky swear I won't murder you. <laughs> These androids and their trusting natures. Um, Gerardi takes out the notes app and apologizes if she offended anyone when she murdered Bruce Maddox. And everybody seems cool with it, presumably because murdering Maddox offended exactly no one. Um, Rios replicates a really weird food combo for Soji because Jana liked it, and therefore Soji must like it too. And she does like it because stupid fucking Maddox didn't bother to give his androids different personalities or tastes. Which honestly is the only consistent thing that has happened in this episode (laughs) because it seems like Maddox took the time to program his robots stupidly. So obviously they would all have the same food choices. Yeah, you're not going anywhere tonight. You're watching Measurement Man. Um, (laughs) Anyway, it's time for story time with Auntie Rafi. 
So it seems like she maybe got together with Gerardi off screen and got the missing pieces to her conspiracy theory. So together they lay it all out. So here it is. A gajillion years ago, this ancient race created an octonary and put a planet in the middle of it and hung a big neon sign that says, Since will evolve to destroy you. The Romulans find it and merge it with their own ancient prophecies, a very legitimately interesting plot point that frankly deserved more explanation than it ultimately got. Um, Totally. And created the Jat Vash, a group dedicated to destroying synthetic life. When Nuni and Soong starts making androids, they don't destroy the androids. They just send Commander Owen as a spy. I think. It would have been fucking amazing to find out that all these years ago when Maddox tried to claim Data as the property of Starfleet to disassemble him, he was either knowingly or unknowingly, what, what's the difference between that, an agent and an asset, um, <laughs> operating at the behest of Commander O. I think that would have been really super cool to find out. That would have been like a really cool twist. But yes. alas, no. Sorry, writers, for not taking the advice of a professional non-writer. Um... <laughs> But anyway, after hearing all this, Soji commandeers the ship. She, she hears about her brother and sister on the Ibn Majid, and it somehow activates more of her android memories. She puts up a force field to keep everyone out, but Rios deactivates the force field by singing a very sexist nursery rhyme about wanting to marry a widow who can sew and embroider. Do you know this rhyme? Uh, no. My sister-in-law does. <laughs> and it's funny because I said to her the other day, I was like, what's up with this rhyme? My sister-in-law is from Cuba, by the way. So I was like, so what's up with this rhyme about I want to marry an old widow who can sew and embroider? And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I bring it up on YouTube, and it's like, oh, it's Conley. She's like, oh, yeah, I do know that rhyme. (laughs) No, it's not my people. It it, it transcends Hispanic cultures, from from what I understand. But um, do you want to talk more about disturbing nursery rhymes from the old country? Yes. Okay. My Polish grandfather used to sing this nursery rhyme to us, and, and I... I'm five and a half years older than my brother, so I specifically remember, like, watching my grandfather bounce my brother on his knee and sing the song. And the Polish lyrics are, and I'm probably going to mispronounce this, Yejim yejim pom pom, naku niku sam sam, hazapazam yejim hop hop. The English translation is, and I don't, very roughly, and this may not be the verse that I've said in Polish, um, a lord is riding alone on a horse. And after a lord, a peasant Hop, hop. And after the peasant, a Jew. Oh, uh, dear. Jumping like a monkey. Oh, dear. Because there's nothing like reinforcing the social order through children's songs. Oh, my goodness. Um, my understanding through my research is that in modern times, that song has been significantly reworked. <laughs> so now we have a man, a farmer, and a bunny rabbit. Okay. Better. More reasonable. Better. Right, yeah. right, yeah. right, right. So... Yeah, um, yeah, old-timey nursery rhymes. The Diorosco Leche is like, I want to marry a widow from the capital who can sew and embroider and will open the door to let me play. It's like, you have low standards. (laughs) (laughs) How about a divorcee, Rios? (laughs) Picard is all for Soji's plan. He's like, listen, we tried it everybody else's way. Let's try it Soji's way. So she wants to open a transwarp conduit without taking the necessary shielding precautions. Yeah, we got some really prime Star Trek speak. We got some. We got some good technobabble. It yeah. was pretty. It was pretty epic. 
He jumps into the captain's chair, Picard does, but then he realizes that he doesn't know how to work the holographic computer. That, that was pretty cute. I, I thought that was cute, because yeah. it's also accurate. And they all join hands and agree to take Soji back to Planet Android. End of show. This what? wasn't a bad episode. Yeah, I kind of liked it. I, I did, you know, I did wish that we had more of the backstory as to why Rafi was a crazy conspiracy theorist, even though her conspiracy theory turned out to be true. But I did like it. I thought it had some good humor beats. Um, I, yeah, I was entertained. Yeah, I liked I liked this episode. Yeah. I, the show is slowly, like, I'm less infuriated by the absurdity it, of it all. It took, like, to me... Episodes one and two, I was totally into it. I was yeah. like, oh my god, this is so cool. And it had, like, the the touch of, like, what's the deeper Federation conspiracy. And then it had... And then, like, episodes three, four, and five... Like, episodes three and four was like, let's go pick up our cast of characters. And then episode five, like, it was fun, but it didn't really bear anything to the larger plot until the end when Gerardi killed Maddox. And then it just kind of seemed like the, the show kind of like lost its way in the middle. Yeah. And Which is odd for a short season. Yeah. And 7 and 8 I really liked. And then 9 and 10 I had very mixed feelings about because I, I feel like with 9 and 10 there is a significant tone shift in the show. Abrupt. Yeah, very, very abrupt. To, to the point where... I don't know if they were trying to make it like an homage to the next generation and we'll talk about it. Like I, I get that. I have no problem with that, but it was just like a very, very abrupt tone shift. And I really did not enjoy episodes nine and 10, except that they did give data the death that he deserved. And I fucking ball like a baby every time I watch it because it, it is a great scene for data much better than he got in nemesis. Nemesis actually has sex in it. With who? Riker and Troy. Yeah. Which, I mean, is cool because, like, you get, like, seven years of them being, like, chased and... God, their relationship is so fucking weird, isn't it? It's like they're off, they're on, they're off, they're on. Are they together? Are they not together? He's fucking someone else. She's fucking someone else. And they're fucking each other. <sighs> uh, and then they end up together. Very enlightened. Little... Very enlightened in their cabin. <sighs> I like that cabin. That's what I want out of life. You know? Minus the will-they-won't-they... Yeah, I don't want the will they, won't they. I, yeah. I just want a will they. Yeah. And move to a cabin. Yeah. That has an outdoor pizza oven. And yeah. a tomato garden. Yeah. These are my dreams. Very yeah. simple dreams. I could go without the bunnies with poison sacks. So. Right. No. I'm, I'm not I'm not interested in or that at all. But precocious like, children. I mean, I have one. It's not that bad. I know. <laughs> <laughs> really quite fun so we do get a really good Bechdel test uh, scene between Gerardi and Soji actually this episode passes the Bechdel it test does. because it also had the opening scene which is all or yeah all women scene. all women they're all talking chicks. they're having meaningful conversations there's yeah. a conversation between Narissa and Rod Ramda. And Ramda although I guess it's not really a conversation but like it's supposed to be Still. Soji talks to Gerardi. Gerardi mm-hmm. talks to Rafi. And yeah. it's, it's, none of it's about dudes. Right. Right. It's just about, like, life and impending doom. Yeah. So, you know, it was a good episode. I, I feel like we, you know, we, we, we started off high. We went into the valley. We've kind of come back a little bit. And I feel like episodes 9 and 10 are going to be an emotional roller coaster. Because I've got, I've got some thoughts with a capital T. 
I'm going to be sharing. Same. Sharing about 9 and 10. We're, we're going to be going on some feminist tirades. We're going to be going on some feminist tirades. Oh my god. Fucking Sutra. <laughs> Her name is Sutra? Yes, exactly. Shut up. Her like, name is like, Sutra. Come. Huh. Oh, I know what we forgot to talk about. How you had something in your notes about, like, do we think that history is going to repeat itself with the synthetics? Ah, uh, yes. Okay, that is a plot point that is stolen from Battlestar Galactica. So you said that earlier, but yes. I don't recall that. So, like, the whole thing of Battlestar Galactica is, like, history will repeat itself. So there was, like, the civilization, it created synthetic life, the, they created these Cylons, the Cylons took human form, they went to some other planet... Uh, and then they created like their own Cylons, the Centurions, and the Centurions destroyed them. And then it like basically was this big cycle that repeated itself. It's possible that I don't recall that because uh, Battlestar Galactica got really bad as the seasons progressed. Shut your whore mouth. No, I love that show. I watched. You the- finished it? Oh my god, I watched the whole thing in like a week. Okay, so it's amazing, but the end is weird and stupid. I like the end. The end is lost-like. No, the end is lost-like, but I thought it was a very cool twist that Head Gaius and Head Six were, in fact, like, separate entities, like, angelic entities, um, and not just, like manifestations of the subconscious and I thought that was really cool especially since Kara Thrace at least in whatever form that she was brought back after she burned up in that crash was clearly some kind of extra human being which none of that makes any sense no it really didn't make any sense like why would they bring Kara Thrace back as an angel just so she could recognize some notes of a song that were played um but I really liked the show. I thought it was really cool. Battlestar Galactica developed by writer Ronald D. Moore, who used to write for Star Trek. It's a small sci-fi world out there. It is. But I also think, like, Star Trek is so, like, ubiquitous. Like, there's so many episodes. I know. And it's just, like, everyone who's acting at the time. I, I, I know that this is a somewhat controversial opinion in the world of Star Trek purists, but... I actually really hope that they reboot the next generation for the movies. Like, first of all, nothing can replace the next generation in my heart, my fifth grade heart, and the actors. Isn't there a new Star Trek coming out? There is in 2023, but I I assume it's... a million years from now. I know. Will the Earth even exist then? (laughs) I assume it's like the original series with the Chris Pine character and everything like that in the Kelvin timeline, but I would love to see Next Generation rebooted with a bunch of new actors. I would really love to see... An episodic Star Trek, so like rather than you know, <clears throat> Alien of the Week kind of thing, um, that is dark and gritty. Yeah, I feel like they're trying that with Discovery. Season two of Discovery accomplished that. I do think so. I do think season two of Discovery or it got, it got that. close. Yeah, it, like there were some aspects of it that were just too silly. Um, I agree, but like. But I want, like, really not silly, like, serious, hard sci-fi with, like, philosophical undertones that, like, makes you question the nature of reality. 
Like, so, basically, Battlestar Galactica with a Star Trek. Deep Space Nine is actually pretty good for that. Um, it, it does have that 90s gloss about it, but especially in the later seasons when the Federation is, like, in an all-out war with this Gamma Quadrant power called the Dominion, it, it does get pretty dark. All right. Well, uh, right. maybe we'll we'll ask for suggestions from our from our three people from our who three listen. exactly. Yeah, but yeah, if anybody if anybody has any suggestions regarding um, sci fi movies, series, anything that you want us to cover, send an email to likeafish at gmail a Gmail address that I have not checked since we invented it. I'm actually doing it right now. <laughs> I actually don't have it connected to my phone. All right. Well, until next time. Bye. Bye.